Hi, still now. Um, I'm going to do the Haftarah, same date, Wednesday. And again, it's being sponsored this week by uh, the Radomskis, the Baron Benjamin Radomsky in Israel. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, we have two um, yard sites this week. Uh, a few days ago was, um, what do you call it, the grandmother's yard site. It says Rachel Basvi Yitzchak. And I guess this Shabbos will be his grandfather's yard site, Benjamin and Yosef Levi. So obviously that's who he's named after. And uh, they must be happy that their grandchildren are living in Israel. Uh, so anyway, uh, I want to thank them for sponsoring, and I hope this will be a tribute to their memories. <laughs> We're looking, of course, at the first of the three-week stuff. I assume you know that. You know, so it's it's not the Haftarah Pinchas, but that's what we're going to read. And of course, when you get to that sort of thing, here, let me get the copy up. When you read Yirmiyahu, so, you know, I'm going to always look at it from a historical perspective when I can. And you have a very interesting historical perspective in this Haftarah. Because this is the beginning of the book of Yirmiyahu. This is when he gets inaugurated as a prophet. And he's young. Nara Anochi. Okay? He's young. Nara would be 13. I don't know if it's exactly that age. He's young. Now, when does this happen? Asher Dvar Hayadvar Hashem Bimi Yoshio Benamamelkihuda Bishloshesreshonalmocho. Okay. So he starts his first prophecy in year 13 of Yoshio. What does that mean? It means a lot. Right? It means a lot. Um, what do we know about Yoshiyahu? Uh, pretty soon it's going to be coming. Kinos people are talking about Oz, uh, by Tony Yermio, Yoshio, etc. And he was one of the rare good kings in the South. But I'm going somewhere with this very specifically. I'm opening up my rusty, trusty Divrei Ayamim in the Tanakh. I'll read in English. Listen very closely. Yoshio in English is called Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He was there for 31 years. Now, when he was eight years old and became king, his father had been Ammon, who was wicked, and his grandfather Menashe was wicked. So he grew up unfrom. In the eighth year of his reign, so when the king was 16 years old, while still young, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. So something turned him on. He became Balchua in the sense... You know, it doesn't mean he flipped overnight and became super from. He started to engage with the Yiddishkeit and CSY. You know, he started keeping Shabbos a little bit, started keeping this a little bit, and whatever. Even though the country was chock full of idols from Menashe and Amun, based on Migdash was chock full of idols. Oh my goodness, everywhere. Okay? He started to have what we would call Hirhure Teshuvah, if that's the right word. Although he's not a Balchuvah, he wasn't born from in the first place. So that's when he was, in the 8th year of his reign, 16 years old. In the 12th year of his reign, so when he was 20 years old, he went full force. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah trees, the idols, and the molten images. Under his supervision, they smashed the altars of the Baals, cut down the sun gods, the Asherah trees, the idols, the molten images, ground them into dust, which he strewn into graves of those who sacrificed on him. He had the bones of the priests burned on the pagan altars, and he purged Judah and Jerusalem. So he went on a spash to wipe out of Odezart. Okay? I mean, he really, 
you know, went at it. And he did the same thing in Menashe and Ephraim and Shimon and Aftali and ravaged fields all around. They smashed the idols of Sherah trees. They ground the idols into dust. They chopped down the sun gods throughout Eretz Yisrael. Then he returned to Jerusalem. This all happened in the 12th year of his reign. So something turned the king on to um, go full force against Abudazar, which had been the reigning business in the kingdom of Yehuda for decades under Menashe, who was there for 55 years, and under Omon. Menashe is a complicated story, but basically the idols and everything he set up were never removed. And Omen was even worse. And then came this guy, and in the 12th year of his reign, he went on a spaz and he destroyed all the idols. Big time. 12th year of his reign. In the 13th year of his reign starts our Haftorah. See, get, see where I'm going? You can talk a situated. Uh, if you have a little bit of triangulation, and then you see the significance that God chooses somebody when the climate is very interesting. The king is on a major march throughout Eretz Yisrael, destroying the idols wherever he finds the right and left. Right? Now, this raises a question. What turned the king on? And how did he become from him? Why in the 12th year did he go like this? The answer, in my opinion, <clears throat> just using a little bit of deductive logic, is as follows. How could the king march all over Eretz Yisrael? He was only the king of the south. He was the king of Yehuda. I think you have an idea how big the kingdom of Yehuda was. It wasn't so big. It was basically the terror of Yehuda ben Yemen. <clears throat> I think you know that. What about the north? The north was a separate kingdom. By this time, the north had been wiped out. The ten tribes had been exiled. They had the Shomronim there. And basically, it was ruled by the Assyrian Empire, Ashur. Okay? Ashur. The Jews were gone. So how can Yoshio walk all over the place? <clears throat> the answer is, <clears throat> again, if you do a little bit of triangulation, you'll know that early in his reign, hard to figure out exactly what year, the Assyrian Empire collapsed. Collapsed under its own weight. And, well, not really. You see, the Soviet Union Mamish collapsed under its own weight without violence. The Assyrian Empire collapsed under its own weight. It was a gigantic hidden revolt busted out against them from the Babylonians. Ashur is the northern part of Iraq. Babel is the southern. Ashur, the northern part was dominating the southern. Babylonians long, long, long before had had a great empire of their own. Now they wanted to restore their national glory. And under Nebuchadnezzar, they did. So under Nebuchadnezzar and his father, they revolted and destroyed Ashur. Notice, not only did they revolt and free themselves, but they exterminated Ashur. Ad Kedekachte, it doesn't exist anymore. Ninveh is a, a ruins. And there's a whole book in the Bible called the Book of Nachum, which celebrates this. Okay? Now, literally celebrates it. So, what was the result? And here we are with contemporary events. When the Soviet Union dissolved, so all these countries became free on their own. You get it? That's what the Ukraine war is now all about. The Trojans are trying to get it back. We change our minds. But all these different, this stand, Kazakhstan, Pashistan, this stand, uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Eastern Europe, etc. They all said we're now free countries on our own. Not under Russia anymore. So when Ashur dissolved, the political reality went a, an extraordinary sudden transformation. Until now, 
the Assyrian army and garrisons were 10 miles north of Jerusalem, 15 miles north of Jerusalem, not even. Because the border of the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south was very close north of Jerusalem, as you know. Uh, all of a sudden, they don't exist. It's just interesting what happened to the Assyrian garrisons when the headquarters was wiped out. But they ceased to exist. Therefore, the king of the south, Yehuda, who has an army, he's not able to take on the army of the Assyrian Empire, but Tophel, but there is no Assyrian army. Now he can march forth and take over the whole country. And that is what Yoshio did. Being a real Fermi, he burned down all the idols. No, it's more than that. I'm sure, I'm sure that he was told by somebody, if you will start to keep Shabbos, you will start to keep Kosh, you will start to get rid of the Vodazarat, amazing things will happen. And in the eighth year of his reign, which is around the time of the destruction of Ashur, probably somebody told him, you start keeping kosher, like we would say today, Iran will cease to exist. All the big threats. Hezbollah will drop dead. You understand? Hamas will cease to exist. And Ataka happened. And so the king got enthusiastic. And by the time the process has played itself out, he's totally committed to being from. And he's on a rampage <coughs> to, first of all, take over the north, because it used to be ours. And second of all, to get rid of all the idols to the best degree that he can, that are in the north as well as in his own country. There is a tradition in Chazal that he brought back the ten tribes. I don't know what the Peshat with that is. I'm familiar with it, but I don't understand it. Pashim shot that didn't happen. And now you're in the 12th reign when the king is 20 years old, young, vigorous, from BT, and he's out to get rid of Abedazarab. This must have caused a big tumult in the land because the people were hooked on Abedazarab. A lot of people had getchkas and things like in their house all over the place. Here comes the king and his officers are destroying whatever they can find. And in the middle of all this, You see? So he starts one year into this campaign against the Buddha's Now, you know and I know, in retrospect, that ultimately, Yoshio was a failure. He gave it his best shot, but the people were too far gone. As the Chazal say, they hid the idols behind the doorposts. No, it's like drugs. you got to get rid of the desire to have it. If the people want it, have the desire, they'll just hide it. You'll find some every once in a while, but there will be plenty that you didn't find. That, unfortunately, is what happened. Now, that means that the promise... Um, uh, which was sort of manifested in Yoshio, that if the Jewish people will do full tshuva, the world will change. God will change the international system. Asher will cease to exist. The conditions will be there for the Klai Yisrael to return. They'll be able to restore the Davidic kingdom. Things will be like it was long ago. The constellation of international events was possible at that point. Now, it didn't play out. Okay? That is the message of the first chapter in Yermiyahu. Okay? So, in the middle of the year, in 13th year, while the king is on his path, going after the voters as best he can, but Yermiyahu lives among the people and he knows what's really happening. 
He's a young boy. He doesn't, doesn't want to talk about it, but God tells him, I commission you to talk about it. Before you were born, I decided you're going to be Novi Lagoin. Where's Novi Lagoin? Novi Lagoin means you're going to be a commentator on international political events. From a prophetic point of view, you see, if you're a political commentator, then you'll say this happened because of that, and this country attacked that country, and this thing happened here. You give a political interpretation of events. If you're a meta-political commentator, you'll say, why is God making things happen in this way? Which is a different thing. And that is what a Navi is. Navi's not a commentator in Stam and Veltarine, but he's giving, telling you what God is saying. And he's saying that everything is Israel-centric, and depending on what the Jews do, that's how the international uh, equilibrium, in terms of the balance of power among the great nations, will be uh, displayed, will be played out. And um, you, Yemi, are going to be one who says it. Before you were born, and Yemi is a boy. He says, How can I speak on such lofty matters? If you told me to tell my neighbors stop worshipping idols, no. But you're telling me I'm going to interpret international events. Which, of course, he does. As we all know, he's the prophet of Dune. He tells the king, the king and the nation what to do vis-a-vis Nebuchadnezzar. They don't listen. I don't want to hear about that. You, you, you do what I tell you to do. And he goes on over there to say, right? Touch his mouth and say, I have a point to you. Not to give a Muslim schmooze stamazoi to your neighbors, and not to give a shear, but to be an international commentator from the prophetic point of view. In the Hivkaratich Ayom, I gotta point you. Alagoyim val mamlochos, linsosh, vlinsos, ulavid, the haros, livners on toa, which is amazing. To root up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. No, as you're going to say, before it happens, which nation will rise? Which nation will fall? What will be the cause of the rising? Will be the cause of the fall? Which nation will knock out another nation? And then in turn, that will be knocked out by a third nation. And so forth. You're going to call the shots from a Nevoah point of view. And of course, the idea is, you know, how it's going to affect the Claudius role. And the overarching message is that God, that's how God runs the world, certainly the Middle East, around the Claudius role idea. When they're good, things play out, and the international situation is good. When they're bad, God can arrange it that bad stuff happen internationally, which then fall on the Jews. You have a play of words. You see, I see an almond tree, but the word is shakade. That means I'm going to be very determined to carry out what I tell you. And then he tells him, of course, you see, mitzvah on I'm telling you right now, it looked far off. This is in the 13th year of um, Yoshio's reign. So the king's on a frung wave. And Asher has disintegrated. And no other country has taken its place yet. And nevertheless, 
mitzofen tiparta God is saying, disasters are going to come from Babylon because the Jews are going to screw up and they're not going to you know, listen and they're going to uh, go off the derech. And by the time it's all over, the international constellation in the Middle East will result in Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia becoming the top dog. And the Jews, who will be possible to arrange things with him, that's a big theme in your meal, but they'll always constantly misarrange things, screw it up, get Nebuchadnezzar ticked off at them, and the end will be the destruction. The end will be the Corbin, which of course happened. Now the Corbin did not need to happen. There were many, many opportunities to prevent it to happen. But God says, but you're going to call it that it's going to happen. Linsosh, linsos, right? To root up and break down. Lahavi, laros, to destroy and overthrow. Livnos, lintoah. And you're also going to tell me what's going to be built and planted. And Yermio will also tell the future after the Korban will come in a Mashiach time. And, uh, what do you call it? And the nature is going to come from the north. And he calls it over here long before it happens. Think about this. If this is the 13th year of Yoshiahu, the king lasted uh, 31 years, I think. So he knows there's another almost 20 years. Then you're going to have 11 years of Yoachim. So it's another 30-some year, 40 years. And then you're going to have 10 years of Tzidkiel, three months of the other guy. You see I'm going... Basically, I'm calling the shots 40 years before it happened. It's like somebody was sitting in the year 1990 and Soviet Union is falling apart and a guy saying, I just want you to know that Ukraine is going to become independent. <clears throat> but in 2022, in 30 years from now, Russia is going to invade them in a big way, brutal way. So that's what Yumio is calling over here, or Hashem is, I should say, over here, right? And he says, before you know it, the Babylonian generals will plant their chairs at the gates of Jerusalem, which is what happened. If you look later on, when they captured the city, they had like a certain ceremony, an ancient um, oriental ceremony, and Nosnu ish kiso pesach sharish Okay? And if you want to know why, Now this is not dibarti, but dibarti. That means so it's future tense. At that time, when the Babylonians take over the city, I, God, will be will speak Mishpat with them on all their evil. In other words, they will have built up a negative bank account of Averis so that what the Corbin is coming, they're going to fully deserve it. By that time, if you want to know what the Averis are, Asher Azavuni, right? And your job is going to be to call this out long before it happened, because Yermio is 13 years old. So you're going to call this roughly 40 years before it happens. So that, obviously, people won't say, it just was Mikrahope. Is this part of the Middle Eastern events? They say, no, 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 a prophet actually foretold it. So it means God arranged that way. Why would God do a thing like that? Okay, you want the answer? I'll give you an answer. I'll give you an answer. And so your whole purpose of being a prophet uh, on the international scene is to justify the ways of God. So that the Jewish people will hopefully see that whatever happened to something was something that they earned by their bad ways. And 
even though, as I said before, you're going to be unpopular because nobody wants to hear this. But I'm going to give you a force field and you'll be impervious. Like a Superman. You'll just be surrounded by a force field and they won't be able to hurt you. They'll, they can verbally hurt you and they do. But they'll never physically hurt you. I'll make you today like a fortified city and iron pillar to bronze walls. Notice you, the prophet Jeremiah, you will be a fortified city. You'll be bronze walls and you'll be able to take on the whole Claudius world, the whole land, against the kings, the princes, the priests, and against all the people in. And you're going to say unpopular things and they will try to fight you. And so, Yermio is told, as a young boy, you're going to have some pretty doggone consequential things. And I'm sure, excuse me, that if he started prophesying out loud, then people must have laughed at him because he's a nar. But Hashem's like this. I want it out there on paper, recorded, so later when it happens, they won't say it was just an accident. It was just a concatenation of events. But it was foretold. So this is why we read this in the Shiva uh, in the uh, three Puranias of Torahs, because the way we Jews deal with tragedy is to try to find a certain meaning in it, and the meaning we always look for is this happened because of the way we acted. What's the nechama um, in that? It's in our hands. If the base of Megas was destroyed because we acted bad, then if we act good, we could bring the base of Megas back today. I realize it hasn't happened. I realize it's easier said than done. Talk is cheap. All that is true. It doesn't take away from the central thesis, which is that it's in our hands. This is a very from type of passage, but that is exactly why they laid this out as the Avatar for this week. Uh... Once again, I want to thank the Radomskis. I think I have one more to do this week. Um, So with that, I'll bid you all a good day.